Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Blue Ngo, coming to your ears from NARM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's learn together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Well the Wellbeing Science Insights Podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. I am your host, Lungo, coming to your ears from NARM, Melbourne, Australia. And today I am joined by Eric Klux, PhD Associate Professor of Epidemiology, Behavioral and Social Sciences at Brown University, as well as Director of the Mindfulness Center at Brown. Today's topic is physical recreation and exercises, which we're going to explore from the aspect of healthy mind and healthy body, how to adapt healthy behavior in daily life. Let's learn together. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the show. Hello. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, really great to be here. Thanks for hosting me. Thank you so much for being here. I know it's super late where you are. It is only morning here, but it's already evening there. And uh, yeah, we love to take the time to talk to you from two different sides of the world. Uh, <laughs> I know it's going to be a very, very dynamic conversation. It's a topic that a lot of uh, people on my team are excited to learn about because we have noticed that we just, you know, sitting at our computer all day. And, you know, like this topic is definitely going to be super helpful. But before we go into that, we know that you are, um, you know, interested and invested in so many different things and your expertise area is mindfulness. Um, so it'll be great if you could introduce a bit more about yourself to our audience and uh, why you would like to talk about this topic today of physical recreation and exercises. Sure. Yeah. 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 It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, um I am trained as a cardiovascular physiologist and also a social epidemiologist. So I often look at biological mechanisms of how psychosocial factors can influence heart health. And uh, about 12 years ago or so, I started to really see promising evidence around mindfulness uh, interventions and um, with the potential for um, improving cardiovascular well-being. And then also have history as an athlete myself, um, used to compete quite a bit in triathlons and these days, it's more in the category of like surfing and stuff. Uh, um, so, um, you know, we've done some research with a mindfulness-based blood pressure reduction study that um, showed some impacts on particularly like sedentary activities, um, as well as uh, a program in young adults called Mindfulness-Based College that also um, engaged with physical activity and sedentary activities as well. So happy to share uh, about some of my findings and knowledge in that area of, um, you know, physical activity, recreational activity, but also a lot through the lens of mindfulness. Uh, yeah. Um, that's uh, sort of my area of expertise. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, on this show, we've actually mentioned mindfulness before. And what I've, what I learned from that previous conversation was when we are doing an activity that we're, you know, really invested in like a physical activity, we're actually also practicing mindfulness. And because there's a, 
I understand there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to mindfulness and a lot of people think that, you know, it's like meditation and sitting in one place while it's actually not. So that is super interesting that you mentioned that and we're going to learn more about that in a little bit. Uh, but you mentioned stoving even before we started the recording and just now you mentioned surfing and it sounds like something that you're passionate about, some fun activity that you do on the side. So would you like to share a bit more about that? Um, where are you based and you know, how do you find surfing? When do you make time to do it? Uh, yeah, I'm in Rhode Island in the East coast of the United States. And uh, you might've heard about some of the hurricanes coming up the East coast these days. So that kicks up waves for us uh, that um, we get to serve. So we had some really good stuff last week, for example, and making the time for it, you know, it's often first thing in the morning and um, which is often one of the best times condition wise anyway, before the wind comes up. And, and then that has a bit of less impact on my family and stuff too. Cause I go often before they wake up. Um, so I've got 12 <laughs> yeah. year old, uh, twin daughters that uh, are also into the sport too. Um, yeah. um, and so it's been fun to yeah. uh, go with them as well. Yeah. So they surf as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they, what a fun getting, activity. Getting for good. The, yeah. Such a nice yeah. activity for, um, family time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Um, so I think by this point, uh, myself included, um, our audience also, we have got to know you a little bit better and uh, we'll definitely learn more about your expertise area um, and especially about a, a topic that a lot of people dread, like physical exercises, because we are probably not doing <laughs> enough of that. But before we go into the detail of the episode, we would like to invite you to share some recommendations with us because that would help us to learn more about yourself as well as getting some really fun recommendations so the mm. first thing we always ask and this is my favorite is what is a book you would recommend um one well one that i'm reading right now is called uh, the body keeps the score and uh it's a pretty powerful one uh, it is really looks at how our life, including our early life shows up in our body. Um, yeah. And so it really connects the mind to the body very well with a lot of rigorous evidence and stuff too. So yeah. I've been appreciating that one. Yeah. yeah. I just finished that book not long ago and I, oh, okay. yeah, I, yeah. I, I finished reading it and I had a moment with my friend. I was like, I messaged her after I read the book because we were, we meant to read it together, but she finished first. Um, and, and so mm. we were talking about all the insights um, that were discussed. And I was kind of jokingly saying to her, I, after finishing this book, I don't know what happened in my childhood. I, <laughs> you know, like, like, did I have trauma? Like, maybe I did without knowing, you know, it's yeah. so interesting to go through all of that. And I think it's not an easy read for a lot of us, but yeah, very important to to learn from all of those um, chapters. Each one yeah. is a roller coaster, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah. yeah, super intense. And I've done a lot of work on research on like social determinants of health. So impacts of things like racial discrimination or mm -hmm. poverty or low education or yeah. abuse. And uh, one of the reasons I went into mindfulness is I wanted to do something about it. You know, here I was documenting, you know, the biological signatures of all those difficult challenges. Yeah. And um, a friend of mine, you know, I was going on a bike ride with him once and he's like, who's, who's the main consumer of your work? And <laughs> 
I realized at that point, the main consumer of my work was other academics <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and like it would get into, you know, Time Magazine or something just as like an interesting thing. Like, look, yeah. inflammatory markers are influenced by people's levels of social isolation, but mm. I just wasn't feeling like I was having an impact as much as I'd like. And so mindfulness training is a very practical way to potentially help heal the past and the present moment. Yeah. To be able to look at the challenges that have come up in our lives and to hold them with kindness and care and after time start to look at the roots of them and then to skillfully respond to whatever those roots are. So yeah. it's one of the reasons why I like that book is it um, documents the evidence of it, but also gives pass out mm. uh, and through it too. So yeah, for sure. Appreciated it. Yeah. And it yeah. definitely strikes a lot of compassion within ourselves because um, I think mm. what I definitely took away from that is there's so much to a person that you don't know about. And oftentimes we we're really quick to judge, but we don't know the backstory and whatever happened in their childhood, in their early years and people mm. change, people grow and um, being able to yeah. just keep that in mind helps a lot because um, it, you know, it's just for me personally, it helps me to reduce the tendency to judge. Why is this person behaving this way you know it's more like oh okay i observe uh -huh. this behavior i understand there might be more to why they're behaving this way i accept that and mm -hmm. you know i move on um in seeing how i can actually interact and um yeah mm. i think it's very yeah, interesting that's a good point mm. yeah 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 so this uh zen master named Thich Nhat Han uh did quite a bit of calligraphy one of i remember one of his calligraphy said um understanding is the foundation of love mm. And, uh, so if we can really understand where someone's coming from and what their experiences are, that can lead to uh, uh, love and kindness towards them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Um, very nice start to the list of recommendation for sure. For those who haven't read that, I, I think highly, highly recommend. Um, what about a movie that you would recommend, Eric? I'd recommend. <laughs> <laughs> or just a movie that uh, you having like. Having kids, I don't, I don't watch a lot of movies, honestly, but the ones I do watch are with my daughters okay. and, um, and my wife. And um, so I guess one that comes to mind that's like one of our favorites is Moana. Oh, and that's such a nice uh, one. Powerful movie with a strong female lead who's got a lot of courage. And, I know humor and yeah. uh i like the diversity of the movie too you know the main characters are polynesian and so often with kids movies the characters are white and it's nice to see um, lots of yeah. diversity in that regard too yeah. so that's been a favorite of our family yeah 100 yeah. i couldn't agree more such yeah. a good one uh, in all the yeah. points that you just made how about a podcast because we are doing a podcast with you now we wonder if you listen to any yes. podcast you would recommend yeah, I mean, two that I've been into lately. One is um, the Contemplative Science podcast uh, that brings together um, just science with contemplative practices. And uh, that's a fun one. They actually had me on their um, podcast a couple of weeks ago, which brought me towards it. But I've been listening to other episodes on it, too, and it's it's been good. Mm -hmm. And then also the Surgeon General of the United States has come out with a podcast called House Calls. And uh, he's bringing in some really insightful people onto it, all the way from like chefs to meditation experts to, you know, a professor at Yale who teaches a course on happiness and stuff. So I've been um, 
those have been two of my favorite ones I've been listening to. But, wow. Uh, we didn't get yeah, to I'm looking some... forward to listening to yours now too yeah. as it launches thanks. today, right? Today is yeah, the day. Thanks. Today is yeah, the congratulations. day. Congratulations. Oh, thank yeah. you. Um, yeah, for those who don't understand what's going on, we've been pre-recording a bunch of podcasts and the day that we are recording this episode is actually the day that we're also going to release our podcast. So that's very exciting. So maybe... Yeah. when people see this in the future the past will make sense i don't know if that makes any sense but yeah, yeah. anyways right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah. I, I think it's gonna be really fun and we didn't get just one recommendation from you but two so that's very exciting thank you i want to put them on my list as well i'm trying to listen to more podcasts because ever since we started um you know recording the show i actually stop listening to podcast interestingly <laughs> enough <laughs> so now i'm slowly getting back into it need yeah, to, need to it's do like that. you're listening to them live instead yeah exactly because I, I get to talk to amazing experts like yourself so i just like i just well it, that, that's my you know that's my dose of podcasts weekly already yeah. um but yeah it would be yeah. really fun to get back into listening to more podcasts um and the next one i always like to ask is what um actually no who is your role model and it could be a famous person or it could be a regular person um in your circle it doesn't have to be a famous mm. person mm -hmm. yeah i have many but um one that comes to mind is mahatma gandhi uh so he um had a great deal of of courage and a great moral compass uh and really stood up for those who were less empowered to be able to stand up for themselves. Um, and I also appreciate, like he had, a, he has an autobiography um, where he talks about um, how he doesn't, he didn't feel like he was particularly smart and didn't do particularly well in school and stuff. And, and that, but what he did do is he treated his life as an experiment mm. so that he would try something. Yeah. And if it worked well, he'd continue doing it. And if it didn't work well, he'd stop. And mm. uh, I just, I really appreciated that. And with mindfulness and even when we look at our relationship with physical activity, you know, we can try things that work and if they make us feel better, continue doing them. And if they make us feel worse to stop, it's so simple. It's not so easy to do, but it's such a simple, powerful concept that's inspired yeah. me for, for many years mm. yeah that sounds really inspiring actually and i think uh, it's so interesting listening to people's different role models and uh, sometimes even hearing the reason why it's so powerful to it's kind of like a source of inspiration for me because we all you know think about different figures in different ways and for some people that person is not famous for some others it's, it's maybe a person like uh your role model that everyone knows about but the way that you relate to this particular person is completely different from how another person would relate to this person so i find it to be really mm -hmm. fascinating yeah mm -hmm. yeah cool yeah. so the last one on this recommendation list uh is not not a recommendation per se but i would uh i think it's more so on the spirit of learning we always like to ask our guest about a, a course that they've recently completed or a course that they completed and they really like i know that you're also a professor yourself i believe it's going to be tricky because <laughs> you're thinking i teach so much which one am i going to choose from you know, i'm the list of the one that i've actually completed uh, so yeah <laughs> this one might be tricky but fun at the same time yeah well i think one of the more powerful courses that i took as an adult was 
mindfulness-based stress reduction mm. uh, that was developed by John Kabat-Zinn and has been tested in clinical trials now for almost 40 years. And uh, it really helped bring my personal mindfulness practice in together with the science of it. Yeah. And as such, inspired me to not only um, deepen my practice, my mindfulness practice, but also to really look at the impacts of mindfulness on physical health as well as mental health. Mm. So that, that was a powerful one for me. Yeah, definitely. And and I can see that now because it is also your expertise area and you keep learning about it. Um, and yeah, I think mm. that's a really nice message to everyone. You know, even if you are mm. um, very experienced yourself, there's just, just no one stopping you from learning even more and nothing would stop you from that. It's actually a really good thing to do. So it's very inspiring. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Cool. Um, so now let's go into the exciting part where we actually learn more about your expertise, talk more about this topic. Um, before we go into physical recreation and exercises and, you know, mindfulness, your expertise, um, let's talk about well-being because our show is about well-being. So let's start broad. What does well-being mean to you? Yeah, you know, one of my favorite definitions of well-being or health is actually the World Health Organization definition that came out, I think, in 1948. Um, and their definition is that uh, it's you know a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. And so, when I think about well-being, I'm I'm often I you know I often think of it as as more almost on the flourishing side than just the absence of being sick. Like, mm. yay, I don't have heart disease or yay, I don't have depression, but really well-being has that kind of wellness side of things that allow us to live a full and healthy and happy life. And how can we create conditions that allow for that alongside having the absence of disease, but you know, disease happens and are there ways to have well-being even if we have certain conditions that are going alongside it and uh, as as many of us do mm. yeah it sounds like uh to to you this definition is broader than the sense of just having you know well-being in your life it's it brings you uh to a space where you can flourish too and i think that's very different um Again, each person has such a different, um, mm. you know, definition when it comes to this topic. But yeah, I, I think uh, flourishing is something that not a, all of us are experiencing right now. And I guess, um, you know, the conversation that we're gonna gonna mm. have about the topic of today might actually help us to get there. Because to me personally, I don't think I'm at a stage where I can say I'm flourishing. My well-being mm, is, yeah. you know, my well-being is uh, maintained, is managed. I understand what's going on. And like you said, it's not the absence of all of the um, unfortunate, you know, th unfortunate things that might happen to your health and, uh, and other aspects, uh, physical and mental-wise. Um, but, yeah, mm -hmm. like I think to reach that state of flourishing, mm -hmm. I'm very curious, you know, how can we get there? And um in the mm -hmm. context of well-being, you know, like what would be some of the things that maybe we haven't looked at, you know, as humans. And one of the other things that would be related to this is it might be because we have a lot of misconceptions when it comes to well-being. 
you've brought us your definition. Mm. I've I've picked on I've picked up on the word flourishing. I really enjoy hearing that. Um, but mm. to you, you know, what are some of the misconceptions that you've picked up when you interact with people when it comes to well being? Misconceptions. Yeah. What do we get wrong when it comes I to well being? I mean, like one thing uh, that I see, you know, like I just I just um, came up with a book on mindfulness for young adults. So I'm working a lot with young adults right now. Um, but uh, when we look, say, on social media and stuff, and we look at Instagram or whatever we do for images, often um, some of the people, you know, like I had a young woman who went through one of my programs and was um, suffering with, with an eating disorder, like bulimia. And, um, and she was a beautiful person. And, and uh, she was telling me about how um, she'd kind of gotten hooked on social media, just seeing how people looked and that women who looked like healthy and beautiful actually like weren't, they're, they're just too skinny for health, for good health oh and how, gosh she had strived for that herself mm. and in doing so uh, became much less happy and actually less healthy as well. Yeah. And it wasn't until she realized that framing around it and that, that she started to um, uh, deleted some of her <laughs> image related social media accounts and talked with her friends a lot about it, who also shared this similar challenge and that she was able to release herself from trying to model herself about, after how other people look and um, in the process actually became healthier and happier herself. Mm. So I think some misconceptions can be through the visual media that we're all exposed to right now that um, when we see someone who's maybe smiling <laughs> and looking really good on camera, are they really yeah. healthy and happy or are they just kind of being paid and mm. being digitally altered? <laughs> mm. to so, look that true. Way? so that's one thing that I certainly hear is up with, with young adults. Right yeah. Now. That is so true because, I mean, the camera only captures a moment um, and, you know, you don't interact. Yeah. If you don't interact with that person, you have no idea what's going on. And that's such a good point because, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like, I mean, <laughs> it's so interesting because this has, it seems like the topic of today I, I just mentioned. Um, we had another recording today and we were kind of talking about the same thing, you know, when it comes to social media and it's... Mm. it's so damaging to everyone not not just young people but I, I would say everyone who's you know constantly checking social media that we would notice this oh this person's smiling and they look so thin and healthy but you know when you strive to you know lose weight or you know smile in front of the camera are you actually happy like that is another you know completely different thing and mm -hmm. yeah it's sometimes really sad to think about how we have to portray a certain image to the world. Um, and I think for me personally, I've just noticed that there's no need to do that. Actually, you can, you can share if you're sad, why not? Like, why, why do we have to constantly mm -hmm. say that we are um, happy and, um, you know, only share about the highlights and the you know healthiest of moments because what I've noticed is when people open up about their struggles and they talk about how they've overcome certain challenges, um, that is where I really see the essence of well-being. It's it's there. You know, it's mm -hmm. not about I'm happy, I'm healthy all the time, but about I went through this, 
with my well-being. I definitely mm-hmm. did not have a, a great journey, but I got here. You know, I'm. I went through all of this, and now I'm okay. And um, mm-hmm. like I, I talked to. Um, I, I think I talked to a couple of friends recently because um, two of my really close friends they just had kids recently, and they went mm-hmm. through a whole process of change. And you know, mm-hmm. on social media, obviously, as new parents, they want to share happy images. But you know, what is behind those images? Actually, struggling new parents, lost sleep, mm-hmm. they're tired. They are definitely really happy and thrilled that they have, you know, brought this new human into life. But yeah, there's just so much misconception that stopped them from actually um, work on their well-being. You know, if you if they're only focusing on sharing things on social media, like you said. It's such mm-hmm. like such a huge issue nowadays, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like a it's like a new tool, and uh, you know, I sometimes think of it like um, you know, humans have developed all these tools over the generations, and we keep the ones that continue to benefit us, and then we change the ones that are kind of mixed benefit, and so with social media. Or like with digital media, it's it's amazing in so many ways. Like, you know, my kids weren't able to see their grandparents in person for two and a half years because of the pandemic. Uh, my parents live in Canada and, and uh, I live in the U.S. right now. And uh, so with Zoom and video conferencing, it really fostered a better quality relationship with their grandparents, a lot more joy. So like, how can we take digital media or social media to do the wonderful things and then kind of drop out <laughs> you yeah. know, the stuff involved with like craving yeah. and addiction and For sure. you know, judgment and yeah. <laughs> you know, all that stuff. And 100%. it's an open question right now, but it's such a new tool yeah. that uh, it is. I hope we'll continue to yeah. refine it. Yeah. hundred percent. It is like, it's such a big thing to talk about. And um, I started reading this book recently called stolen focus by Johan Hari. And it's mm-hmm. uh it talks about how we just lose all of our focus. There's no flow in our lives. And it's, you know, it's related to well-being too. And um, I think one of the key things is the author was really honest and saying, like, I just reached for my phone. And he was trying to detox, you know, like actually, like you said, it's it would be really nice to balance it out, enjoy the nice aspects of um, the the internet being on social media and other tools that we can get access to. But on the other hand, how do we do that? It's actually it's such a like a, such a hard thing to cut out everything else and just focus on the good part. And the author tried to not use anything. He he even tried to buy a flip phone, I think, and he couldn't find any. And because you know, like try to buy a phone that doesn't have yeah. access to the internet. And you know, during the first few days that he was on this retreat of no internet, no social media, he kept reaching for his phone. And I feel like, mm. you know, we might go through the same thing if we were to try the same experiment. And it's such a hard thing to accomplish. Um, and I think it's interesting to me, noticing all these things in the context of today's topic is because we're talking about, you know, physical activities. And you know what? I've realized we bring our phone everywhere. Like for me, for example, right? I am guilty of that. I go for a run. What do I bring? My phone. I, I don't know. I just felt so attached and I just couldn't like, yeah. you know, like get away from that. Cause I, I don't know, like I fear something might happen. Like I might get lost or, you know, like I might need to access mm-hmm. my Apple wallet. I don't know. I was like, I just mm-hmm. feel a constant need to like 
bring something, the phone. I didn't bring my wallet, but I brought my phone. So it's it's just so yeah, yeah it's just such a thing to think about. And yeah, and, and in today's um topic, let's talk about that because we are talking about physical recreation and exercises. We all know what they are, but you hmm. know, there might be a lot of challenges. And so, you know, what would what are some of your observations given your work? Because you are really involved in this work and also maybe some backstories about mindfulness too would be very beneficial. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, say continuing with like um, how you're sharing with like bringing the phone on runs and stuff. Like we had um, a student who went through one of my mindfulness programs and he, he liked to run a lot and, uh, and he would always do it, you know, with his headphones on and listening to music and that would like give him some energy and he'd just like zip along and just kind of be in the music and stuff and get, get the run done. Um, I had another student who mostly exercised kind of for body image stuff too. And, and so she would often be tuned in, just be on a treadmill and like looking at a screen and just like getting the exercise done with to get it over with. So she looked better and stuff. And then, and then, um, but didn't really enjoy it. So would kind of use the phone or the digital stuff as a distraction. And, um, and as both of them went through the mindfulness training, they, they started unplugging during their runs and, um, just kind of being there with their body. And, uh, so when we train people with, through the mindfulness lens with physical activity, we often do like a particular mindfulness practice, um, where we start off with just a bit of a meditation where we're just like, just calming, you know, just being there maybe with our breath or some other object of meditation, like sound or something. And, and then, um, let everyone know that now is a moment when we're going to start to get ready to do some physical activity and just invite people to notice like what thoughts, emotions, physical sensations arise as they know they're about to do some physical activity and, uh, and just seeing what's here. So for some people, they're like excited and, uh, other people there's like dread (laughs) people or thoughts are coming up like, uh, it's dark outside or whatever it is. And, and we're not, you know, part of mindfulness is like non-judgmental awareness. So we're just aware of our thoughts, emotions, physical sensations, but in a non-judgmental way with curiosity, acceptance, gentleness. So if we know we're about to do physical activity, you know, what's there. And we're, so we're coming to know ourselves a little bit. And then we invite people to actually start the physical activity for about 20 minutes. You do a bit of a warm up and then do the physical activity. Often it's like a, encouraged to be like a walk or a jog if they're able to do that kind of thing, often outside. Um, but not with anyone else for this meditation because it's we're trying to help them kind of connect within. So during the, the exercise itself, we're inviting them to check in also with their thoughts, emotions, physical sensations, and and to respond. And so, you know, for some people, when they're getting physical activity, they're just like hammering and um, they're actually going harder than necessary and maybe even harder than what's good for their body, but they feel like no pain, no gain. And <laughs> can maybe start to dislike physical activity because of that. <laughs> and so can we bring our awareness to our thoughts, emotions, physical sensations that are maybe saying, actually, you're, you're maybe going a little too hard <laughs> and pull back and other people aren't going hard enough. Yeah. And so it's just kind of boring because they're just like going through the motions. And so what happens when they pick it up and, and then there's, you know, as many ways to be physically active as there are people in the world. And so part of 
mindfulness is to notice how we feel when we're doing different forms of physical activity in different ways. And uh, each of us has a different body. Each of us has different constraints we're working with. Each of us has different natural strengths and stuff. And so how do we harness all that to maximize the positive emotions, physical sensations, thoughts, and that's going to be a unique recipe for each of us. And so that's what we're training people to do is to really enhance their self-awareness, but then also their kind of attention control to like place their minds where they choose to, which can be on doing the activities that bring the most joy. And then when they come back from that mindfulness exercise, we, you know, invite everyone to, you know, after they've cooled down and stuff, I'm like, you know, raise your hand if you're feeling better now than before you exercise. And like 95% of people put their hand up, not everyone, but like 19 out of 20 do. Yeah. And, um, and so just about everybody feels better after physical activity, often for hours. And uh, so part of mindfulness practice is to, to just notice that this present moment is influenced by prior moments including the physical activity that we've had as well as what we've eaten or what we, Mm. you know, consumed in the alcohol or drug direction, you know, or how much we've slept, you know, or what are, who we've interacted with, you know, so this present moment is influenced by prior moments, including say the physical activity. And so that's sort of the arc that we bring people through with mindfulness, physical activity approaches is to just notice our thoughts, emotions, physical sensations, yeah. which is basically the entirety of the human experience before, during, and after physical activity to be able to just see what's there mm. and to continue to refine it, to build something that supports us and brings brings joy and happiness and well-being. Mm. Yeah. That is such a different thing to try for you know, for me, it's the first time I'm hearing this, you know, like the, the warm up that you mentioned, it's, it sounded like a mm-hmm. meditation a kind of warm up. It's not the regular warm up that people would think about. So very, very yeah. different. Um, and yeah, mm-hmm. like when, when you mentioned that for some people, it's like, you know, they dread it. I was like laughing so hard because it's so true. Um, I talked to, yeah. I think I would talk to colleagues in the studio, like l- not long ago about, like, oh, you know, like let's, let's have a moment to meditate. And then immediately everyone was like talking because we couldn't, they couldn't go through it. <laughs> um, so it's, it was a guided yeah. meditation, no less. So that was really hilarious. Um, and I think for a lot mm-hmm. of us, it's, it's different, right? Because that's why I talked to you, you know, rather than talk about the definition, we all know what physical recreation exercises mean and you know what what we need to do and you know for each of us we have different kinds of activities but in the context of what we're talking about it's so different to approach it from the lens of mindfulness where you actually Mm -hmm. build it into the activity and I think um you said 95% of the people that participated they enjoyed it and that you know definitely was was really awesome to hear um but at least they felt better after they didn't necessarily enjoy it during people have a it's like a mix okay (laughs) but just about everybody feels better after it's okay sorry (laughs) for a while sorry i i mixed that up but um yeah so at least 95 percent of them felt better even if they did enjoy it so i guess my question here is you know given that uh data point given the you know the activity that y- you mentioned this is new for a lot of people let's convince them you know i would like to convince them to actually start trying it so you know how do you think this would affect our level of well-being or our well-being in general mm-hmm. yeah well maybe like looping back to when we um 
began our conversation, I talked about that calligraphy by Thich Nhat Hanh that says understanding is the foundation of love. So if, if we start to just like understand the body and the mind, um, you know, so like if we look at this moment in history, uh, humans are as a whole are much more sedentary than they have been in the past. And, uh, you know, so many of our jobs now are sedentary. So many of our pastimes are sedentary. Like people watch on average, you know, eight hours of screens a day. And, um, and you know, we no longer really have to wash our own clothes by hand or we don't have to walk to go get water. We don't have to, you know, hunt for our food or gather our food. So life is very sedentary. But the, the body up until, you know, 100 years ago, we were designed to rest when we can because we had such active lives so that when if we can rest, then rest so that we're stronger when we have to chase that antelope or when we have to go, you know, carry all this water, all this firewood. And so if after a hard day of work or whatever it is, we feel the desire to rest genetically and anthropologically, we're kind of set up to do that. And if you're, if we feel like we're physically out of shape, well, we're in really good company with the majority of humans at this moment in history. And so that sort of understanding is the foundation of love part is this, if we can understand and not judge ourselves for how we are in this moment, there's lots of causes and conditions that, that went into it. You know, if we were the same human 300 years ago, we'd probably be buff. (laughs) But for whatever reason, here we are, you know, at this time in history and we might be out of shape and so is Mm. just about everyone else. Yeah. Um, So so sometimes it's like, you know, mindfulness is like that non-judgmental curious piece of not judging ourselves for wherever we're at physically and coming to accept it. And then that's like ground zero. Mm. And then, you know, if we feel the desire to be more fit, which many of us do, then can we really kind of lean into that? and let that feeling come stronger, you know? So like with the mindfulness programs that I've developed for young adults and with blood pressure control too, when we set goals, we're often like encouraging people to like not set a goal, like with their mind, but almost more with their entire self, you know? So like, you know, what's deep within that just wants to come out, you know? So say for me, I do, feel pretty strongly that I, I like to be fit and I like to be strong. I'm, I'm happier and I'm healthier because of it. And so can I just let that express out? And uh, so even for the listeners, you know, inviting you to s- just check in with yourself about who, what is your true self, you know, like underneath all the, all the noise, what's there and what's wants to come out. And do you want to be stronger and more fit? And if so, really let that express and then we can kind of harness that energy to become more fit. And, um, and so then say, you know, if that energy is there and maybe, maybe that, I don't know for the listeners, if it is there, but if it is, then the question is, is like how, and, um, and that's, an answer that each of us is going to answer differently. So like, say some people like are really practical, like my dad, you know, he's, he is not interested really in like going to a gym or (laughs) anything, but he, he has a 
sizable yard that requires a lot of mowing of the grass and a lot of picking fruit, a lot of gardening, a lot of home maintenance. And he does that about six hours a day and he's retired. And, and so that's his form of physical activity. It's very practical and it takes care of our home and our family and brings food on the table. And then other folks like say my wife, you know, she has been a really competitive, um, athlete on team sports, you know, like, um, ultimate Frisbee and lacrosse and soccer. And she just loves the social dynamics and what a team, what a group of people can do Mm. that an individual can't. And it's just amazing to see what can happen. And that just fills her up. And then for me, you know, I, I like to do things like with one or two friends and particularly in nature, uh, that has a bit of like a adrenaline rush. So for me, it's like surfing and rock climbing and I do like running too. And so, you know, that's just three people, but there's, you know, billions of people in the world. And so what is it for you to express out? Yeah. And then once we can find those ways and even experiment like Gandhi did in his life, you know, just try this particular way of moving or that particular way, how does it go? And then over time, we can find something that's allowing us to become who we truly are harnessing that energy and getting that positive feedback of how we actually feel better when we do it. Mm. And um, so that's sort of the, how I approach it anyway with Mm. our programs. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because uh, I totally agree with all your points um, that you just mentioned, especially about the sedentary lifestyle. And in fact, I think, um, when I talk to my team, for example, my friends, we, we all talk about the same thing. You know, like, sure, we can buy a standing desk, but that's not going to solve the problem because we are still stuck inside. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not, you know, we're not actually active, being nature. We're, we're not mindful because, you know, when you look at screens and, you know, multitask or you open multiple screens, it's kind of like, I don't know about you. I don't know about other people, but I just get the sense of overwhelm and I was, you know, I used to be really proud of myself. Like I never get headaches, never. And then, you know, one day I just stare at one screen, not even two. And I got a headache after like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, two hours. So it's, it's just so interesting to figure out different ways that you can enjoy these, you know, physical activities, right? Because you, you're so right. It's, we're different. What I enjoy might not be something mm-hmm. that my best friend would enjoy. Um, it might not be something that you would enjoy. Um, I have never, I mean, I've served once and that's it because <laughs> I'm in, you know, I'm in the CBD of Melbourne. There's no other place I could, uh, there's no place I could go to serve right here. But uh, yeah, yeah, like, you know, like the condition of where you're living, how you are, you know, the, your circles, all that sort of things, uh, what you enjoy introverts might enjoy you know like going for runs alone extroverts might enjoy running with a group so it's so different but it definitely helps as long and and like you said right we just need to figure out what it is in the first place to enjoy it and you know to Mm -hmm. to be able to increase our you know to work on our our well-being it's not about yeah i see that a lot of people are going on runs i'm gonna do that it's not about that it's about Mm -hmm. what works for you and that, that's what I love yeah. the most about the conversations that we've been having recently over the world about, you know, exercising. Like, what works for you? What do you enjoy? So there are so many different forms mm-hmm. of exercising and activities. Even gardening, like you said, could be, you know, like mm-hmm. you know, working on something so practical. I really enjoy that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, one of the most evidence-based forms of physical activity that has big impacts on health is walking. Just as simple as that. And uh, so for me, like my parking spot is about a half mile from my job. And um, I could get a parking spot closer, but I keep it the longer one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. you know, yeah, I get totally. a mile of walking in that way. So it's just sort of like, yeah, that's so smart. You know, just kind of finding finding the ways that match who we are. Yeah, I'm I'm also sort of a bit in the practical side of things. Like yeah. I do like trying to fit it into day to day life. But another thing that people sometimes, and myself included, can think like I just I don't have time. You know, like, and there is a certain amount of privilege, including that I personally have, that I want to recognize because I only. You know, I only have one job um, and many people have multiple jobs and physical activity isn't so easy. Like if you live in a high crime neighborhood and an apartment or something. So I want to check, you know, privilege with the ability to be physically active. Um, um, And then at the same time, when we're trying to think like, do I have time for it? For me, Thomas, I find it actually like kind of creates time. And that um, I have more energy and I'm more grounded and in a better mental place so that I make better decisions and I'm less likely to get caught down some kind of wormhole. Um, so like yesterday, I was pretty, I had quite a bit of stress. We had some some data analyses that had been showing this pretty strong association and then um, our statistician recommended we look at it in a different way. And like the, the association was completely wiped out. And um, uh, the, this was about to be published. Oh no. <laughs> so I was very stressed because oh, no. I, I pride myself on really high quality methods. And, um, yeah. and so we started to drill into what was going on. We, we thought we maybe found a mistake in one of the variables that was being used. And I, and my statistician, you know, has three kids and he's like, I can't work on it tonight. And I'm like, fine, fine. Yeah. And, um, and so I was like quite stressed about how that was going to work out. Um, and so in the morning, you know, I could have had a cup of coffee and like bang through some work or something and coffee makes me kind of anxious, but instead I went and got some physical activity in nature. And by the time I had that time out of nature with some friends and beautiful day and out on the ocean and, um, and then came back to an email that showed that it was indeed a mistake with the variable and the analyses were just fine. <laughs> and so I Yay. saved myself all this unneeded worry yeah. and instead took care of my body and actually yeah. helped me make better decisions and be more grounded throughout mm. the day. And so that's such a good point. I feel like sometimes people that can be a question of do I have time? And and sometimes the answer truly is I do not have time. But sometimes we can question that a little bit that, yeah. that might it even make time so that we're yeah. less grumpy and less likely to get into that fight with our loved one that then puts us into two hours of, you know, arguments and weekly therapy <laughs> and everything else that takes yeah. time. Or can we just take care of our body yeah. that might prevent some of that stuff? In yeah, the place? for sure. <laughs> and again, it's different for everyone. And I, you know, want to recognize my own lens that I'm looking at this through and respect to other people's lenses too. But. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah, thank you. I think it has been a very, like, it's a 
very different kind of topic and very different kind of conversation when, when it comes to talking about your healthy body because we're not talking about just this body, we're talking about the mind as well, which is why we're talking about healthy mind and healthy body. And I hope that it has provided our audience with a different way of approaching how they go about their physical activities. And, um, and, and I think it's really helpful to think about mindfulness in this context too, because I definitely believe that it's a new concept to a lot of people. When you think of physical exercise, all you think about is going to the gym, running, you know, like there's, there's no component where you say you build in mindfulness. So there's definitely a, a difference there. And, and we got some statistics that were interesting. Um, but to round it out, I would love for you to share a bit more about, you know, perhaps something that's related to your research um, about um, the benefit of, you know, combining these two areas that people so often separate um, and uh, because we're talking about, you know, forming behaviors that are healthy for our well-being, um, you know, what are some of the, you know, maybe interesting facts or statistics or things that we might not have known before um, that can help us to truly think about how we can embed this into our routine and, you know, maybe adapt and change our behaviors. Because like you said, we are so used to, you know, sitting at our desk We've had such a sedentary lifestyle, even us recording this podcast, we're sitting. So, you know, like, how do we go about changing mm -hmm. our mindset in the first place? And, you know, what would be some of the benefits? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of the first studies I did in this looked at um, about 400 participants who had been followed since they were in their mom's wombs and were now in their late 40s. And... Um, we were looking at like early life determinants of cardiovascular health and epigenetics and stuff. But I put in a mindfulness questionnaire in the study and we started to see that people with higher levels of mindfulness had better levels of physical activity. And these, most of these people weren't even meditating, you know, so it was just everyday mindfulness. Like everyone has a certain amount of awareness of the present moment of their thoughts, emotions, physical sensations. So even however we get it, doesn't mean we have to meditate, um, but it might help us become more aware of how we feel before, during, and after physical activity, how we feel in general, and what helps us feel better. And then when we started to intervene in young adults and in, in older adults, we started to see that actually training it up, training up our self-awareness, and then directing it towards our relationship with physical activity started to allow people to sit less and move more. Um, you know, I have a colleague, uh, Kirk Erickson at University of Pittsburgh, who does a lot of work on impacts of physical activity on like cognitive function and aging. And so there's getting to be pretty strong evidence around the impacts of physical activity, even on brain function now, not just mood, but actual cognitive mm. abilities. Yeah. And so if we think about, you know, the ability for, um, physical act, like, taking the time to be physically active and so much of, you know, a lot of the workplace now is like in the knowledge kind of industry. And if we can be improving our cognitive abilities, that can be potentially enhancing our work performance and stuff too. And then another area of interest that I'm seeing right coming up more and more now is around using mindfulness to actually enhance performance in sports. Like, you know, a lot of professional mm -hmm. athletes now are using meditation mindfulness to like, 
really optimize their performance. And, and so one way that we see it happening is, um, you know, in the moment, um, like, so say I had a student who was on the varsity squash team at Brown and, um, uh, was finding just a lot of rumination she was doing between points. You know, with squash, you kind of play a point. It's very strategic. If something goes badly. <laughs> you can be thinking about that, and then that your partner's like serving the next one up, and you're already in play again. And and so when she started going through my meditation training with my course, um, she started to just kind of like focus on one spot on the wall, you know, like with squash, there's often these marks where the ball hits or whatever. And she'd have one spot that she'd focus and in between every point. She'd go to that spot with her eyes, focus on it, allow her to just kind of settle and come right into the present moment and then play that next point. And it started to improve her game. And then she also started to notice how much more she like enjoyed the sport of squash because of the people she got to meet. And it helped remind her of like why she played the game in the first place. And then that helped her kind of train more and stuff because she could feel the enjoyment of this sport that she'd actually picked. And so there's sort of examples of how, um, you know, we can think of like physical recreation. That's like um, more in the pleasurable category, but then there's like physical activity and then there's like sport and, um, more and more mindfulness training is being used with like sport and performance to, to be able to recover from mistakes more quickly, to be right in the moment in the flow when that, when that game is happening so that you're really able to be, respond both to your body and to the environment and to your mind mm. quickly and skillfully. Yeah. Uh, so those are some of the areas and physical activity that I'm hearing about that are, mm. I find exciting and, yeah. and interesting right now. Yeah, super exciting. And yeah, when when you mentioned cognitive function, I think that's, you know, there you go. That's your evidence. Like everyone, if you haven't mm. exercised before, now's the time. <laughs> yeah, there's just no other way to convince people to exercise, right? Because um, yeah, I think I'm guilty of that too. And it's not like I don't know about the benefits, but I guess the main challenge that we all face is, um, these benefits sound amazing. I definitely will. Yeah, I'm determined to exercise. And sometimes when you're tired, you just, you know, you maybe horizontal on your couch, mm-hmm. even though a brisk yeah. walk might give you a lot of energy. And that's what I'm trying to remind myself too. I'm not perfect. You know, mm-hmm. I'm also in that category yeah. where I'm tired. I'm just like, mm, I'm just going to be flat here. Yeah, <laughs> That's what I'm going to yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah, and John Kabat-Zinn talks about the times, he says, like, you know, the times that we're not practicing mindfulness can be just as informative as the times that we are. But I would also say the times that we're not physically active can be just as informative as the times that we are. So how does it feel? And sometimes the body needs rest. Yeah, It's good to give it rest. If we give it a little too much, then just, (laughs) again, non-judgmentally notice how the body's feeling. Yeah, That's good information. Yeah, And sometimes that information helps us you know, with the next skillful step. And even for me, my physical activity ebbs and flows, you know, there's sort of like a average, but you know, this week I, you know, with the hurricane and stuff, the waves were up and I was paddling hard and I was also training in the pool and I was also rock climbing and I, I overdid my shoulder. So now I'm actually in a couple of days where I'm, I'm not actually exercising very much right now <laughs> to allow the, the body to heal yeah. and, and to care. And yeah. And, you know, just that's true. Everything kind of ebbs and flows. And that's true. 
totally it's agree. It's all information. Yeah, for sure. It's not like we have to exercise when we're, you know, not in the best condition to exercise. It's more so, I think it's a good thing we've learned today to actually find the activities that suit us, find ways that we would enjoy these activities and find ways to build mindfulness into physical activities. And that way we have healthy uh, mind and healthy body. And I think um, it takes a lot of work initially, especially for those who are kind of like, oh, I'm not sure what I like or, you know, like I don't, you know, enjoy mindfulness activities that much because it's dreadful to think about having to sit with my thoughts. So I think personally, I think this is going to take some work for individuals, but it's going to be very, very beneficial. Mm. And I think in the spirit of getting practical, right, we always talk about practice, we want to get practical. And you've, we've already mentioned like you, you serve, you know, you try to, you know, build in mindfulness and um, other ways in the programs that you go about, um, you know, introducing. But if we were to introduce one practice to our audience, that would be something they can try today. What would you introduce to them? Like a mindfulness practice? I think maybe we can introduce something that combines um, mindfulness with a physical, with activity. physical activity. Yeah, something like that. Um, I would, I would invite you to try that mindfulness practice I mentioned, where maybe just start. So, like, maybe get whatever clothing on that would allow you to be active and um, and then to just sit for a quiet moment and then bring up you know the thought that I'm about to be physically active notice what arises thoughts emotions physical sensations and then go be physically active for like 20 minutes or so with a bit of a warm-up and get your heart rate up but not too high and just notice thoughts emotions physical sensations while you're doing that allow the cool down and then just notice how you feel after you're done. That whole cycle can take 30 minutes and just observe. Mm. And, uh, you know, the guidelines around physical activity talk about, you know, 30 minutes of physical activity, you know, most days of the week kind of thing. And 30 minutes is, you know, it's time, but not so long. And so how does that that 30 minutes feel and just be open to the answer. If it's horrible, that's fine. If it was wonderful, that's fine. If it's somewhere in between, that's fine. But that might be a, a mindfulness practice that could integrate the two. Uh, yeah. I wrote a book called the mindful college student and that has that meditation in it. There's like sections on physical activity and mm. uh, physical well-being as well as mental well-being. Mm. That's super interesting. I've, I've meditated I've exercised, but I never combined the two. So mm -hmm. to me, this is new and something I can totally try. So suppose yeah. I, you know, I go through this, um, you know, practice of uh, between 20 minutes to 30 minutes. What would be the three benefits I would feel afterwards? Well, um, I'm often like inviting people to share that with me because it'll ah, be unique to each of us. Yeah, um, that's interesting. But I can share what I often hear from others, but yeah, but it'll be unique for each of us. Yeah. One is, you know, physical activities pretty reliably shown to like reduce depressive symptoms, for example, and to improve mood. Um, and so a lot of people report feeling um, a better mood 
after physical activity, just happier and more joyful. Um, there might be some insights that arise through it in terms of what aspects of the physical movement bring you happiness and also what brings you down. So sometimes it's like, wow, like that particular route that I walk, you know, along that canal or along that forested path or whatever it is, really, I'm happier when I do that compared to when I walk on a city block. And there's evidence around that, that walking in nature enhances well-being more than walking in urban areas. Um, so that's, those are a couple things, you know, another piece might just be noticing like your energy for the rest of the day. Yeah. And, uh, often people report like a higher level of energy for the rest of the day. That's one of the reasons why I often like to exercise first thing in the morning. If I can, I find it just kind of sets me up Yeah. for, um, more energy and a better mood for the rest of the day. Um, but that's, that's just me. It might be different for each of us. Yeah. And I think that's already a really good start because even if it's different for each person, hearing what people normally get out of the practice is a really big encouragement for those who've never tried that before. Um, you know, not just combining mindfulness with physical activities, but also those that have not tried exercising first thing in the morning. I have to say it's been really cold in Melbourne and I haven't done that myself recently, but uh, yeah, when it was summer, I used to do that every day. It's amazing. I just cannot bring myself to get out of my apartment in the winter because it's so cold Mm -hmm. here. But yeah, otherwise I think I agree with you. It's going to be massively beneficial for everyone and we should all try. And in fact, you know Mm -hmm. what, I'll try, even if it's cold, I'll try and do that even in the cold as well. (laughs) And I'll report, the benefits to you and, you know, give you more data into the research if I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's really good. And now that we've covered the practice, we also have a couple of questions from our audience. I think um, you touched on this briefly before, but let's talk a bit more about this. So we talked about, um, you know, the sedentary lifestyle of, you know, the current context of working and, and how we are working. But I think, uh, a particular audience want to know uh, more about this because one of our um, audience asked, are there, uh, are there any practical tips to develop a healthy mind and body for remote working individuals? So they don't have an office, they're, you know, completely working remotely. Yeah. Yeah. I had like one participant who went through a program who worked um, remotely and did a lot of writing, but, um, you know, she lived in a beautiful area, I think in the Tetons, like in uh, kind of a mountainous region of the United States. And so she had a decent amount of control over her schedule. So she found, um, that, uh, one was that the mindfulness practice helped her with procrastination a bit because she'd do a lot of writing and on her, on her own working remotely, there wouldn't be coworkers there to kind of like give her inspiration and stuff. And so the mindfulness practice helped her just kind of write like just one word at a time, you know, just to get it started and not to think too far ahead, just to go one by one. But she also started to bring more rhythm into her days, like more kind of shorter breaks for mindful physical activity, you know, 
And there's so many mindful physical activities that we haven't talked about, like that really bridge the two, like yoga or Tai Chi or Qigong or martial arts. Like those are like mindful activities that have been developed for generations to bring the two together. Um, So she would often do some yoga as little breaks or go for a walk and found that interspersing the physical activity through her remote work life gave her just like a better arc to her day. Um, So that might be one way one way to, to think about it again, it's sort of checking in with us. You know, I'm, as you mentioned, like it's cold in Melbourne right now and it's going to get cold over here pretty soon too. And the days are already getting shorter. And, and I find even activities can change depending on the time of year or the timing. So sometimes for me, I'll get up in the morning and work like someone who's working remotely can sometimes do that. And then as the light comes up and the warmth comes in, then go get the physical activity outside when it's a bit more comfortable. Yeah. Uh, and then it's sort of a break. Yeah. Um, partway through the morning or whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think that's that works too, actually. Yeah. Why would I challenge myself to get out in the cold when I can actually do other things first and then perhaps go out at around noon because, you know, when that's when it's going to be mm-hmm. a bit warmer. Actually, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. And it can be like one of those experiments that Gandhi ran, you know? Yeah. So how is life when I do it that way? Yes. And whatever the answer is, is fine, yes. you know? And just yeah. keep running those experiments. Yeah, start a documentary. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, do a documentary. Start experimenting with all these different kinds of um, exercising. <laughs> it's actually one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot. Like, you know, like how do I build this into my routine? Because the summer is vastly different from the winter. And I just cannot keep the same routine, unfortunately. So, yeah, this is a really good point. Mm-hmm. I might actually do that. And if I, yeah, if mm-hmm. I do eventually have a documentary to share, I will. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. Sounds good. Cool. Okay. <laughs> so the next question, um, yeah, this is the second and last question is, how can we successfully change our behavior to healthy ones, and how can we motivate ourselves so that we don't fall back to the old habits? Hmm. Yeah, I bet that question is shared with like a billion people yeah. in the world, if not more. Yeah, at least. And, uh, I had a mindfulness teacher named Joanne Friday who used to talk about how we kind of get addicted to our own brain chemistry. You know, like we have this certain kind of cocktail of neurotransmitters and stuff in our brain that, you know, we just kind of get used to. And life might not be awesome and it might not be terrible, but it's kind of comfortable enough because we're used to it. And then if we do something that makes it worse, well, the cocktail gets worse and we want to at least get back to where we were. Or if we do something better, makes us better. We still sometimes will just want to come back to what we're used to. And that can be one of the challenging parts of behavior change is it's like, you know, especially the older we get, we have so many years of experience of just kind of feeling. And so how do we break through that? And, um, you know, I guess for me, there's different approaches and you'll, different people will talk about it in different ways. I think the way that I, the framing that I often use is, you know, enhancing our self-awareness often. You know, I use mindfulness practices of really enhancing my awareness of my physical sensations, thoughts, emotions. So truly, how do I feel? Um, you know, like last, um, I visited my parents-in-law over the weekend and they just moved into a new place, um, an assisted living place. And it has a really great restaurant. We went there with my family and we had this huge meal. And I usually don't really drink much 
alcohol, but I had a beer. Then I had like a big slice of apple pie and like kind of a heavy meal. And it was really nice to be with family and I enjoyed the yeah. moment. And then the next day I was just kind of sluggish. <laughs> and uh, and so part of like that self-awareness is just non-judgmentally just feel how we feel. And then once we start to feel better, can we really let that sink in? And then with our power of like attention control that can come through meditation training, can we keep on moving towards that like kind of guiding light, like that North star. And also know sometimes we're going to fall and um, can we just fall well? You know, like my daughter, one of my daughters is just a remarkable climber, rock climbing and tree climbing. And, and when she falls, which isn't often, she lands incredibly well. It's very rare for her to get hurt. And, uh, and then she just kind of gets up and keeps on moving. And so, for me, like I generally don't drink alcohol, but every so often I will. And if I fall, because I can, can kind of crave it after, which is not healthy and for me. And um, so can I just fall well, see how I feel, learn from it, and then then move on. So I think that's part of it with behavior change or you know, being more physically active is it's, there's going to be times when we're just going to binge watch some movies or something or <laughs> just not go out. It's going to be cold or whatever's up we're sick yeah lazy whatever it's okay it happens to all of us and how do we land from that mm. and uh and keep moving yeah. forward to become who we truly are yeah which is often a pretty self-expressed person mm. yeah i think it's it's so true what you just said and i i guess the message here is to definitely work on those good habits but also allow yourself the space to take breaks sometimes. It's not, you know, like every single day you have to keep that up because if you're unwell today, you know, <laughs> there's no point in getting a run in because you're sick, right? So obviously on those mm -hmm. days, allow yourself to take breaks. And I think uh, because we're talking about healthy mind and healthy bodies, there, there will be days where you feel distressed and the last thing you want is to go out. So, you know, you can you know, find other ways to to nurture your your well-being and um, your exercises can wait until the next day. You know, this, they're never going to go anywhere. I think it's just more so keeping that in mind and um, having that intention of like, I'm going to try to be as active as I can and bring in mindfulness as much as I can. Um, and I also allow myself the space to take breaks when I need them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, great. That's such a nice ending to the, uh, our conversation about uh, the topic of healthy mind and healthy body and, you know, all the adapting behaviors um, that is always challenging. Um, and I believe there will be so much more to talk about, but, um, you know, let's close it here. And before we let you go, I would love to ask you uh, to, to share about something that you're super passionate about. We've covered quite a bit today, uh, but we have this section in our show called Open Mic towards the end because we always want to invite, uh, you know, our wonderful experts to share, you know, maybe this is something so personal to you and you're probably passionate about so many different things. Uh, so here's your stage. Eric, please share with us. Ah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think one thing that's really up for me about passion is just human relationships. You know, I think like during the pandemic, um, I came like really closer with like my wife and my twin daughters and and just thinking about my relationship with them, including with my daughters as they're getting like they're 
they're preteen now and and their minds are really developing and it's just so neat to see who they're becoming and to play around with them and to interact with them almost more as like starting to become more like peers almost as they get older. But then also, you know, as we're at this phase of the pandemic where we're engaging more, I'm, I'm at work now four days a week and we had the first social gathering at the mindfulness center at Brown yesterday, the first like in-person one since before the pandemic and just Mm. seeing the joy, feeling the joy, both of myself, but also the students and faculty and staff as we're coming together, uh, just the value of human relationships um, has been an area of passion for me right now, especially at this phase as we're, I'm feeling more kind of in-person in- interactions as I'm more back in the physical workplace and stuff and still very much connected to my family too. So. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think um, human relationships is probably something that, I don't believe we can ever stop studying. It's just, you know, it's there's so much to that. And um, yeah, it's, it's so nice to see that you have such a nice relationship with your family after the pandemic. I've actually seen a lot of families getting closer. Um, I myself wasn't able to, you know, be with my family because I'm in Australia and my family's mm-hmm. uh, in Vietnam. So we are apart mm-hmm. and, you know, like I was living alone throughout the pandemic, but I actually agree with you in the front of, you know, the, you know, the closeness of the relationship that actually definitely improved because there was no other distraction. There was no like, oh, like go here, go there. Uh, Please come to this, come to that. Uh, You know, um, it's, it's because we were going through the same thing. We actually bonded and um, spent quality time. So it's not like a, mm. a like oh like let's let's call and and call again and just talk about nothing or like talk about the same thing as before, but actually like you know spend time mm. to um, think about the quality and the essence of the relationship, and that was really nice. So really good to mm. hear uh, about that, Eric. And um, it was it's really nice close to this, even though a bit different from the topic, but definitely a really nice um, ending to this conversation. So thank you. Mm. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the podcast and uh, wishing the the best with the podcast and really enjoyed our conversation with each other too. So thanks for having me. You've been listening to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by the Wellbeing Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at we.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Lu Ngo. Thanks for tuning in.